Side Floor from the Bench with Dench. I'm your studio host, Denny Rittenhouse. Welcome to another edition of From the Bench with Dench. Now, before we get into it with tonight's guest, a uh, couple things I want to uh, fill you in on. Uh, one, uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, joined the Facebook page from the Bench with Dench. Uh, you can go out there and give it a like and find past episodes and things like that. Make comments. Um, give me some feedback uh, out there on Facebook. Uh, so uh, thanks to all that have joined here in recent weeks. Uh, thanks to our last guest, Frank Colston. Uh, he set the world on fire, at least by my standards so far, in getting this uh, podcast up and running. Uh, Frank was a lot of fun, and I, I think we'll have a follow-up episode with him in the near future. So uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in and making that our, our highest listened-to program to date. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, you can find the podcast on uh, all your streaming services, including uh, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Amazon, um, uh, Google, TuneIn Radio, and a couple of the niche players, uh, Deezer and some of the others. So, so if you use those, um, we're out there also. So uh, give it a listen, give it a whirl, uh, give me some ideas on Facebook if, if you want. I might not get to all of them, but, but uh, uh, setting a cadence uh, right now once a month and um, yeah, potentially increasing that as, as time goes by. Uh, so just wanted to give you a, a few of those notes before we head into tonight's episode. So let's do it uh, without further ado with the next episode of From the Bench with Dent. Welcome to another edition of From the Bench with Dench, and we've got another special guest lined up for you. And if, if you've seen uh, or watched high school sports in the Metro East and say, oh, the last 40 years or so, uh, I'm sure you've seen our guest today in, in some fashion or another, whether it was as a referee, an umpire, a, a coach, uh, batting practice in, in uh, famous venues. Um, he's done it all. And to top it off, he, he um, had a stellar career as a high school chemistry teacher. And uh, we welcome none other than Dennis Schutzenhofer to our microphone today. And uh, Dennis, thanks a lot for taking a few minutes to uh, chat with us. My pleasure, Dennis. Uh, so, so we, uh, I just kind of wanted to review the, the myriad of things that you've been involved in over the years and, and, and kind of a, a reminisce, if you will. Now, we're friends on Facebook, and I, I know reminiscing is uh, one of your favorite things to do. On, uh, it is. Uh, very uh, nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah, it, and we had similar upbringings, and um, uh, we were just talking a little bit off the air here in East St. Louis, um, in the Metro East. Um, and, and I know that that was a special time in your life, um, it, it, as it was mine. But uh, just just the uh, friendships you formed um, in in East St. Louis at, at, at that time growing up was a, it was a phenomenal experience, wasn't it? Yeah, my uh, my name Schusenhofer goes back two generations in East St. Louis. Uh, my grandfather and all of his brothers came over from Austria about 1890, 1900. Uh, all worked down at Aluminum Ore or the glass companies or the packing companies or the, the uh, railroads. Uh, if you couldn't find a job in East St. Louis, you just didn't want to work because jobs were plentiful. And that's what brought all of those Europeans over is plentiful jobs. And uh, my dad grew up on 22nd and St. Louis Avenue, St. Elizabeth's Parish, uh, just down the street from Hank Bauer, uh, the New York Yankee uh, great outfielder who had seven World Series rings. Uh, I got to visit Hank Bauer's house in, in uh, Prairie Village, Kansas, when I was like nine years old. Got to watch batting <laughs> practice with Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, uh, uh, all those guys. And uh, just uh, it was just, just hanging out, hanging out at Hank Bauer's house. 
yeah. Uh, and I was, and I didn't realize at the time I didn't, I didn't appreciate it because because you were only nine. Nine, ten years old. This was 1959, so it was great. And uh, but anytime I meet a person from East St. Louis, uh, I can go on for for days just talking about memories of of uh, Jones's Park and Price's Drive-In and uh, Hannigan's and uh, oh, just I, I just love East St. Louis stories and that's where I spent a lot of my childhood at my grandpa's house. And uh, yep, the written houses are there, and uh, the shoots and hoppers, and <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, the, the now the Sandlot um, um, was very active for you. I'm sure you woke up with a ball glove in your hand at 8:30, and then, um, probably didn't come home till till you were hungry. Uh, many days skipping lunch because you're in the middle of a pickup ball game on a diamond somewhere. Is that pretty accurate? pretty accurate kids that grew up in the 50s and the 60s i always say that the baby boomers have, have grew up in the greatest era of all time to be a kid uh it was uh, post-war uh prosperous uh the suburbs were growing um baseball was king we didn't have baseball on tv every day so uh, they were like mythical gods to us and that's why we all collected the baseball cards uh, I, I still have 3,000 of my baseball cards, and I, uh, I've had people say, why don't you sell them? They're, they're worth a fortune. And I said, I, I would never sell those cards. That's my childhood, and, and I, I have so many memories of things like that. And, and you're right. Uh, I, had a, I grew up in a, in a rural area, uh, East St. Louis and then Fairview Heights, and hundreds of kids, uh, guys my age, playing ball all the day. And uh, that's, how, that's how we got to be good. Our skills are pretty good back then. And kids today don't do that. And I umpire a lot of youth baseball, and you can't believe how poor the skills are because they just don't spend the time uh, doing it like we did, that we didn't have all the electronic devices that they have now. So it's just a generational thing, and if, uh, if, if we all grew up in the today's era, we'd probably be the same way. We'd have our faces in those screens 24-7. Yeah, it, it, it really was. And, and to, to add on to that, I always found organized ball quite boring compared to the day oh, I spent leading sure. up to, to an organized game. You, you kind of feel the same way? It's amazing because we'd, we'd spend all day playing ball and then we'd be forced to go play some organized <laughs> ball where they had umpires and everything. And and you don't. The great thing about organized ball is you have to settle your own arguments. You have to make your own calls and settle your own fights. And kids don't have to do that today. And that's why they suffer as generation. We just we we have the greatest era to be a kid of all time, and nobody will ever have it as good as we had it. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. I and it, it was just in your blood. I mean, if 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 you couldn't find somebody to play with, you can make up a game yourself and and. You know, just throw the ball up and hit it, and and kind of uh, say, "I'm Harry Carey," and and, and yep. play out the game yourself. It, it was amazingly different, but a uh, uh, fun. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that you did what we did. We we knew the lineups of all the National League teams that the Cardinals played, and we would play wiffle ball or something, and you'd have to bat the lineup. So if if I my my favorite was uh, the Milwaukee Braves, and if Hank Aaron come up, would it would be his turn? I'd bat right-handed. Uh, the next hitter was Eddie Matthews. I'd have to turn around and bat left-handed, just like Eddie Matthews, and you'd simulate their lineup. Uh, it was it was just wonderful at that time. It was great. I loved it. Yeah, we had a we had a thing with uh, me and my brothers. We'd we'd play wiffle ball in the backyard, and and um, there was a cub at the time, 
Um, we we collected baseball cards like everybody did back then, and we we hated the Cubs from the day we were born, and so so we <laughs> we would read the back of the baseball cards, and there was a guy, a pitcher who who, who maybe lasted a season or two in the majors named Dick Thomas, and the back of his baseball card had a a figure that said one strikeout. He was a pitcher and had one strikeout, eighty something innings. <laughs> <laughs> and so we would we would be batting and say, "Come on, Thomas, give me your best stuff, yeah. uh, right?" Yeah. And so so it's uh, right. that kind of um, um, memorization of the baseball cards. So yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to that. I, I was a Minnesota Twins guy, uh, aside oh, wow. from the Cardinals. I, I was big into Rod Carew and Harmon Killebrew and Rich sure. Rollins, Tony Olivi. So, so how so, about Zoilo Zoilo Versailles? <laughs> Zolio Versailles. Zolio Versailles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yep. We liked him and Rico Petroselli. Uh, yeah. We'd, we'd argue over over who, whose name was cooler. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So so that that became ingrained and then and then you 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 kind of grow up out of it a little bit and uh, where where'd you go to high school? Um I should have gone to Assumption because that's where all my buddies went, and my dad uh, just did not want to pay the tuition, so I ended up uh, going to Bevel Township High School, which was the greatest move my dad ever made. Uh, those are the four best years of my life. Even though there were 4,000 kids on campus, uh, this was before Bevel East and Bevel West, I had 1,087 in my graduating class of 1967, and I have lifelong friends and very successful athletics. Back then, uh, the Maroons in 66 were third in the state in basketball. That's when there was only one class, so that was a great thrill. And um, our baseball teams were always good under Boots Buddy. I, I, uh, later on, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll give you a litany of coaches I played for. I'm so lucky. I've, I've had a who's who of Metro East baseball coaches, and I played for every one of them. Just amazing. So um, very lucky there. So I went to high school at Bella Township, and uh, and uh, one of one of the big thrills was is uh, uh, when I got my teaching degree, I got an opportunity to teach at the same high school I went to, and in the same classroom that I had chemistry class in. So that was like a and it was the ironic thing is that was fall of '73. And that's the same year that Welcome Back Cotter debuted on TV. So I was just like Welcome Back Cotter teaching at his old high school, and I was I was one of the sweat hogs coming back and calling my students sweat hogs. <laughs> <laughs> that's great, great. Yeah. Uh, so, so now in all my time growing up there and, and all the hours I, I spent um, on, on the ball diamond, I never knew one kid who was a, a chemistry uh, geek playing sports like that uh, where where did the chemistry background and passion come for you from that you, you were just funniest a... story it's the funniest story because athletics was everything in my life i was passionate about every sport i thought i'd be a pe teacher or something like that and uh when i when i went to high school i just was good at math and science and didn't think anything of it i, I just progressed you know and you you take uh, freshman algebra, geometry, intermediate algebra, uh, then you take uh, college algebra and trig, and then calculus, and I just kept going up the line, and it was what was next in line, so I just kept taking it. And chemistry, uh, I, I, I took an organic chemistry course, and I loved it, and I, I kind, of, kind of fell in love with that. Had no idea that I wanted to be a teacher because I was so introverted. I was scared to death of speaking in front of a group <laughs> of public speaking, so... Uh, I had a degree in chemistry with no education courses, 
And uh, I, I, I thought I'd just work in a lab or something, you know. I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. And then uh, when I, when, uh, as soon as I graduated, my professor said that they had a teaching, uh, a, what was it, a teaching assistantship to go to grad school. And I, I, I swallowed my Adam's apple. I went, mm, are you kidding me? You, you need me to stand in front of a group of kids that are only four years younger than me and, and, uh, and me teach them. And, and I found out that if you know your subject, this is very important for public speaking. If you know your subject matter and you speak from the heart, it's impossible to make a mistake. It's impossible to feel embarrassed. So well prepared, know your subject matter, believe in it, speak from the heart. And you cannot you cannot flub up in public speaking. And, and I remember that to this day. I'm still scared of speaking in front of people uh, of a subject I don't know anything about. But if I know my subject matter, I have no problem with it. So that, there's the key. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Fascinating. So you get that opportunity at, at Belleville West. Um, right. to, to, now, did you dab in athletics in college at all? Yeah, I played uh, baseball at SIUE for Roy Lee. Uh, we went to the NCAA tournament, Division II. Uh, we went to uh, the, the tournaments two years in a row. And the following year, after I graduated, son of a gun, uh, they went to the College World Series, Division uh. II, and they ended up third in the nation. They lost to Florida Southern and Cal, California Fullerton, I think. Now, yep. any other local talent on that team that, that oh, stood it was out all to local you? Talent. Yeah. It was all local talent. Edwardsville, Granite City, but the two Belleville schools, Belleville East and West, uh, yeah, it was all. I played college baseball at Champ Summers, uh, oh, yeah. John Summers from Madison. He played ten years in the major leagues. Right, right. Yeah, he was involved in some famous brawls and everything, <laughs> <laughs> some famous fights with the San Diego Padres. And yeah, who else uh, was Wes Parker around that time? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know where he went to school yeah, or anything. Uh, college, yeah. Um, oh no, not, no, no. That's that's not. Wes Parker was a, a Los Angeles Dodger. You, you were talking about Harry Parker. Harry, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Harry Parker's two years older than me, and he was a minor leaguer in the Cardinal organization. Okay. Yeah. And okay. then a, a guy from Highland in Lebanon named Dean Burke was oh, just yeah. a fireballer. He played he played minor league baseball. Um, Jim Kremel was a Legion teammate. Uh, he played with the uh, Seattle Pilots, which became the Milwaukee Brewers. He played for the Seattle Pilots for five years in the major league. So, yep. Yeah. And then uh, during Legion ball. I played for the Belleville Hill Guards, uh, Barney Elser. I played three years. We were successful every year, went to the state tournament. In 68, we won the state tournament and went to the national tournament. And I, I played against Rick Russell. Uh, I played against Steve Rogers of the Montreal Expos. Rick Russell was a Cub. Oh, Chicago yeah. Rick Russell uh, was always a favorite of mine because he, he was somewhat yeah. built like me over the years. And yeah, he, he had a, he looked like a, a softball player. Yeah, he looked like a yeah a beer league softball player. <laughs> yeah, he went to Western Illinois University and uh, uh, then. I know, like how you connected me to Rick Russell just like that. That was, <laughs> that was nice. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. Great stuff. Um, um, so, so you, you get to Belleville West and, and I'm sure that baseball itch was right there. Did you start coaching immediately and, uh, um, pick up an no, assistant I coach, job? I got, I got hired because there was a basketball opening and, uh, I had never played high school basketball, even though I, I loved to play basketball and I was pretty good, but at a big school, uh, you better be, you better be like six, three or six, four, uh, uh, you know, if you're going to play. So, I didn't know anything about basketball, but Roger Miller uh, was a good friend. Uh, he was the head coach then and took me under his wing. And I learned mm -hmm. as much as I could, coached there for 10 years. And in the meantime, a baseball position opened up 
underclass under Chuck Hossenstab, who was who was uh, my high school coach my senior year. Boots Buddy was my junior year. And uh, I, I coached under Chuck for 20 years uh, as a sophomore coach and a wonderful experience. Every day was like a clinic. And then uh, in 93, I got a chance to uh, apply for the head coaching job at Belleville East because Larry Patton retired. He was a legend. And uh, I got that job and got a chance to coach my two sons, which was just a, a dream come true for me. Now, did you coach him in Little League and, and, and things like that? Were you able yeah, to, to do I, that? I wasn't, a head, I wasn't a head coach in Little League, but I was certainly a part of the coaching staff when they were, were coming up through the Corey Leagues. Yeah, they were both very successful, very good players, Doug and Andy Schutzenhofer. Yep. Yeah, I, I – I, I wrote down a few of those names that because that, that, there are some legendary coaches uh, in baseball in the, in the Metro East over the years, and, and you've already mentioned two of them, Larry Patton and, and Chuck Hossenstab. Uh, yeah. How hard was it to um, or, uh, leave Belleville West? Uh, you know, I went to Breeze Central, and Central and Modern yeah. Day, just intense rivals. Somewhat, somewhat, somewhat <laughs> friendly off the court, but when yeah. when the teams met, it, it was my God. I don't care if we win another game this year; we've got to beat them. Exactly. Um, okay, and, and East and West is kind of the same way. Um, yeah. So, how hard was it after years of playing at Belleville West, coaching there, yeah. uh, to to leave? I guess making maybe knowing your sons are coming up through the system, yeah, made that decision yeah. a little easier for you. Yeah, it, I, that that was the. 100% of the decision because if, if my two sons had not been at Belleville East and ready for me to coach them, I would have stayed at Belleville West. Uh, it was a dream job. I, I loved the teaching there, the kids. And uh, Chuck Hossenstab was getting near retirement, and I, I definitely would have become the, the head baseball coach at Belleville West. So I would have had a, a, a prestigious coaching job either there, either at West or East. But the fact that my two sons – uh, we're going through Belleville East at the time was the big factor, and I had no problem switching over. It, it was great. Yeah, uh, so cool. Uh, I even I, I do have one story. Sure. I, uh, it, they uh, they did a little interview on me when I when I uh, decided to get the job, and I got the job while I was in the spring of '93 while I was still coaching the Maroon sophomore team. So everything I owned was maroon and white, you know, and uh, and my son was a junior. My son Doug was a junior on the Lancer baseball team, so I, I uh, one one night I just hit, saw his uniform sitting there, and I tried on his uniform. I, I put the Lancer uniform on and took a picture of me in the mirror. It was so funny <laughs> to see me in blue and white after I'd been mar maroon and white for 25 years. Yeah. Holy. Yeah, yeah. So so I that had to feel funny. And then and then um, you you go over to a team in the same um, conference. And you got to go up against uh, the guy you coached with for 25 years. Um, that had to be a, a surreal feeling. It was surreal. Uh, not only that, but all my all my buddies that I coached, I coached my sophomores. I had to coach against them for two years. I, I knew I knew them like the back of my hand. You know, I knew all their characteristics and everything. So it, it was really neat. And uh, and uh, another great thing was that the two years before I left, uh, we went to the state tournament two years in a row in '92 and '93. So I went from from being in a class program, you know, state. We ended up second in the state in '92, and uh, I'm on I'm the sophomore coach, and I'm coaching all these guys. It's great. And then to go over to Belleville East and have the success that we did there just was 
I, I've been the luckiest guy in the world, been in the right place at the right time my whole life, it seems like. So, so it, it, and I imagine this is, this is where um, uh, your skills come into play a little bit later. You must have pitched a lot of batting practice over the years uh, oh, to oh my the goodness. high school kids. Not just that, but ever since my boys were three or four years old, I threw batting practice to them in the backyard with tennis balls and bats, and we used our trees as a batting cage. Uh, I'd throw to them. Uh, I'd, I'd throw from from March the 1st, and I coached Legion ball for 35 years. So from March 1st <laughs> to August 15th, I'd throw every night to 18 kids Holy every stuff. night. And that, that's how your arm gets strong is by doing that stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, And we'll get into what I'm uh, parlaying there in, in, in a second. But I wanted to ask you about a couple coaches that, that jump out yeah. at me. Um, um, you mentioned Chuck Hassenstab just a um, – had had some uh, uh, prestigious career at Belleville West. What do you mean to you? Uh, he was my English teacher too. That was kind of neat. Uh, I had him in English class, and, and he did. He showed no favoritism. Uh, he called. He, he taught it like a college class. He called everybody Mister Schutzenoffer or Miss Miss Jones or something like that. He would never use your first names. He was all business. Uh, he was a no nonsense guy. So there was not much kidding around with him, and. Uh, uh, we 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 easily get him off the topic by talking about baseball or Joe Torrey. Joe Torrey was his roommate for the first three years in the minor leagues. He he signed with the Atlanta Braves. He and Joe Torrey are best of friends. Oh. And uh, we we would get him off of the subject just by saying something. We had one football player that that would say something like. Uh, Oh, baseball players are such pansies. They get taken out at second base, and they have to, they have to, you know, they they they, they have to take a, a breather or something. And and my and Coach Hasenstab would say, you you don't know what it's like to be taken out at second base without any equipment on, and some guy blindsides you, you know, and cut you in half with a crossbody block. And we'd get him off the topic, and he'd talk for the whole class period just about uh, his experiences in the Atlanta Braves minor league system. It was. So funny. Oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. And remind, I just read a story this morning, um, a, a, a little teaser. Somebody asked, who, who's the most underrated Cardinal ever? And, and somebody was commenting, Julian Javier. Uh, that guy oh. turned double plays uh, yes. with the likes of Pete Rose barreling down on him. Fearless. He was <laughs> you know, uh, exactly what, what you're uh, uh, talking about there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, uh, so so you you got Chuck. Um, now the Southwest Conference, uh, just uh, it, it's a a Chicago land conference stuck in Southern Illinois in my mind. Right. I, yeah. I think they'd compete very well up there year in year out, and uh, they show that from time to time in the postseason. Yeah. You know, um, Grant Grant City's Grant City's kind of declined in the past few years, but they were a baseball power for decades, and uh, they and Edwardsville, uh, gosh, Alton. Uh, East St. East St. Louis had great baseball players. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, be, yeah. Before the decline there, so yeah. Every every it was a battle every night, every Tuesday and Thursday, Southwestern Conference games, and uh, they were all great battles and great players came out of that. Good good coaches too. Well, they, that's what I was going to say. Is that it, 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 to me, Edwardsville's probably the premier athletic yes. program in in Southern Illinois. Uh, when you yeah. talk about all sports combined and everything, just super competitive right. and everything. But they've had two baseball coaches in, what, the last 40 years. 
uh, right. 50 years. When you talk about Tom Pyle and uh, Tim Funkhauser, Funkhauser. Uh, two two guys you've you've gone up against in some uh, capacity or another over the years, right? I coached, coached against both of them. I, Tom Pyle and I coached sophomore basketball against each other in 1973. And here's this loudmouth guy that throws clipboards and and rants on officials on, on you know when he when we're playing at Bevel West he's talking about how the officials are are uh, <laughs> biased and cheating and throwing his clipboard getting technicals and uh, he was just out of control when he was younger and uh, as he got older he got a little more mellow but you know <laughs> his nicknames his nicknames the Moto the Moto Man <laughs> like a hunchback of Notre Dame but uh, we are great friends and. Uh, He's he's uh oh, I just it's hard to describe the, just the friendship that I have with him. Yep, he would he's he's a he's a lion on the field, but he's a pussycat off the field. You know, he's just as nice as can be, and has a beautiful, wonderful wife that puts up with him. Oh my gosh, she's just, <laughs> he's just a wonderful young lady. Gosh, it's great. Yeah, um, but he, I, it, yeah, go ahead. And then Timmy Funkhauser, uh, uh, I, I think I beat Tim Funkhauser when he was first at Triad before he got the Edwardsville job. And I think I beat him like seven times in a row uh, before that he got me. He got me in the sectional finals twice in 98 and 99 when we had great teams. We were the premier teams in Southern Illinois. And uh, we had to go against each other in the sectional finals. And he got us twice pretty good. And uh, during one of that, one of those times was when they had that 64-game winning streak, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 Yep. Uh, another name I jotted down, Art Vollinger, longtime coach at O'Fallon. Oh, yeah, me and Art go back uh, to 1968. Uh, he was a big hill guard, double hill guard uh, booster, and he'd come out and throw batting practice to us. And then I played at Millstadt Montclair League team for 20 years. Uh, he was he was uh, a mainstay on that team also. So we've been friends forever. And then he coached at O'Fallon. And uh, we got we got to be fierce competitors. We had a we had a riff at one time, uh, just some little argument that we had, and kind of didn't speak to each other for a year and a half. And then we finally made up, and and uh, now we're the best of friends as as we were before. So he's a great competitor and so knowledgeable. The the work he does for Metro East Athletics is just phenomenal. He's got endless energy, and I just love him to death. Great guy. Now, another name, I don't know how well you might know him, but uh, I'm partial because he's from out here. And uh, uh, Joel Hawkins been at Highland for, for 30 plus years now, uh, hitting year 30 this year, I think. But uh, did, you ever, did you ever have to coach against Joel and, uh, yeah. or, or meet Joel, him? And- Joel and I are great friends. Uh, he goes, he takes a group of kids to somewhere like Haiti or the Dominican Republic or someplace like that. And every year uh, when I was with the Cardinals, I get him two big boxes of used baseballs. And uh, when we coached against each other, I learned so many things from him. Uh, I learned how to score two runs on a suicide squeeze bunt, <laughs> runners, runners at second and third, start both runners. And while the pitcher is throwing to first base, the other runner comes around and scores. And I can't tell you how many times I've used that. Uh, first, first and thirds, uh, use a delayed steal and a fake suicide squeeze so that the guy can just walk down to second base and there won't even be a throw down there. I've, I've learned that from him. There are so many things I learned in my coaching repertoire that I learned from Joel. He's he's a great tactician and gets the most out of his kids. And uh, yep, he he's a great coach. Yeah, he Jake, he he really does. Is, is. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I I love to share my story on Jake. Um, um, it, it's phenomenal. I might have even mentioned it last week to, with with Frank when I. I 
uh, Colston, our guest last uh, uh, podcast, but uh, Oda Rizzi just swept this town uh, off its feet. His, right. It started in his sophomore year, but by senior year, I went to a game uh, at the end of the season. This was right before the playoffs start out at the high school. And uh, I was like, I got, I got to get my eyes on this kid again uh, before, before he leaves town. And I go out to, to the varsity game, and they're – the stands were full of no, or the bleachers behind home plate full of nothing but but scouts with radar guns, but the crowd on the down the right field and left field lines was so big. In between innings, the high school band was entertaining the crowd. I'd never wow. seen a high school band at a, a, at a high game. school baseball game, That's but there great. were so many people there. It was just a festival uh, to go out there and watch him. And, and he was phenomenal, of course, a 0.12 ERA that season in a, yeah. a state championship. Uh, but, but you know, and they had a lot of talent on that team. But yeah. Hawk, Coach Hawkins' second um, uh, state title, he did exactly what you just said. He just took a, a group of kids and, and just yep. got the most out of them uh, tactician-wise. And it, it was a phenomenal run in and of itself, that second state they, title. They, they just don't beat themselves. They're fundamentally sound, just like all the Edwardsville teams. And uh, they don't beat themselves. They just wait for your mistakes, and they bounce on you. And, and uh, I, I have a Jake Orderizzi story myself, if you'll allow me to Sure, tell. absolutely. I, I got to know Jake. Through Joel Hawkins, I, he introduced me to him one time at a Cardinal game when, when Joel was first making his appearance at Bush Stadium. And then during during batting practice the next day, uh, uh, Jake comes out of the visiting dugout while the, while the Cardinals are out there, and he uh, he has a ball and a pen. He says, Shifty, Shifty, come over here. So I go over to Jake Odorizzi. I just met him like the day before, and he called me Shifty already, and he says, hey, do you think you can get Adam Wainwright's autograph for me on this ball? So <laughs> I can't believe a, a major league pitcher is asking me to go get Adam Wainwright's autograph. It was so funny. So I went over to Waino and, and he said, bring him over here. So they shook hands and everything, and he got introduced. to. I, I had a, a hand in introducing Jake Odorizzi to Adam Wainwright. That's a great story. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, Jake was probably in the stands when um, – uh, Adam was pitching in the 2006 sure. postseason uh, sure. World Series. Right. You know, he was just a, a sophomore in high school that season. So, so I'm sure that, that was a huge influence for him. Isn't that great? How baseball interconnects and interrelates all of us. It's a, it's a it's a it's a closed fraternity. Uh, it, once you're in the in the fraternity of baseball players, you just have so many connections to everything else involved with baseball. I just love it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. My my other Jake story is, is the state championship game. Uh, they're playing a, a team up there from Rock Island, I think it was. Um, in, in the championship game, Jake had pitched a complete game shutout the day before to get him there. Didn't start this game. They go into the bottom of the seventh, and uh, Highland's leading – I think it was like 4-2, but the bases were loaded, nobody out. And uh, I'm at a wedding um, that <laughs> afternoon. But I, I it, you know, and I, I've confessed to the bride and groom of this over the years. I, I took my headset and had a phone plugged in at home, <laughs> and I'm listening in church to the to the game. And um, they were huge. Um, they're a huge bull, Bulldog supporter. So, so they, they hurried the wedding up knowing what was going on. <laughs> and so after the wedding, I'm standing outside the door. It's the bottom of the seventh. And uh, uh, there's one out, bases loaded. Odorizzi's already struck out one guy. And he strikes out the other two. And the, the whole wedding party and, and people from the church are surrounding me. 
getting <laughs> reports from me on on uh, uh, the state championship game. So that's so a it's great a, story. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time here. Uh, and Highlands, a, they've had some uh, their share of good athletes like that over the years. Oh but, yeah. But Jake, yeah. Jake might be the best. Uh, the kid up at Iowa right now, Sam Laporta, may give him a run for his money as far as uh, professional sure. sports go. But uh, yeah. uh, we, we've been blessed. Uh, so, so that's a, a few of the coaching names I had had jotted down. Did I miss anybody who's who you just love competing with or against that that uh, uh, you know you you look back on and think, man, that guy was uh, tough. No, that's that's probably it for the legends and everything. Just uh, I have great friends, you know, that I coach against Joe Bauer and Timmy Funkhauser and those guys. So. Yep, yeah. Lee Meyer, Double West, yeah. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, so, so that's the the coaches. Now, I wanted to ask you: Has a, a first, how 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 did you get into umpiring and refereeing um, with the? Oh, that's uh, a good story too. Yeah, I was the uh, I was the far, uh, sophomore coach at Double West, and we're at Alton one night. This has to be 1975, and uh, the JV official for the game did not show up. So uh, I said, I'll do it because I've, I've officiated my scrimmages and I kind of like it because uh, I'm a, all, all basketball officials are control freaks. <laughs> I'm a control freak. So I feel like I have control of the game, you know. So, so uh, I remember going out in my brown dress pants and I had a white uh, sports shirt on and uh, I just took my tie and my suit coat off. And I had a PE whistle from Stan McAfoose. He was the basketball coach at Alton back in seven in the seventies. And I and I got an old pair of tennis shoes uh, from the gym right there uh, that I, they found that fit me. So I'm out there in white tennis shoes, brown dress, <laughs> white white sports shirt, uh, and a and a PE whistle with a P in it, and it's got a shoestring for a, a lanyard around my neck. And I I called the JV game with another official, and that's when I got hooked on it right then. So as soon as I got out of coaching basketball, I immediately got into to a refereeing basketball uh, junior high. I first started out, and then I uh, I had my first varsity game. I felt like in 1992 with Donnie Pageant. I'm sure you know Donnie Pageant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we were down at Steelville, and that was my first varsity game. And uh, and I had some games with some legends. Uh, Lee Emery at Mount Vernon. I did a, one of my first games was a Mount Vernon at O'Fallon game. And I was terrible, you know, doing varsity games. And he was so kind and gracious to me. I have the greatest respect for Coach Emery at Mount Vernon. Uh, Dick Korn uh, was at Pinckneyville. Pinckneyville, then, I, sure. I did a, I did games for Dick Korn, and he was very nice to me, even though I probably screwed up a few times as a as a as a uh, inexperienced official. So uh, those are some of the legends that I had. Uh, Dave Luchtefeld. I did a lot of games for Oakville, and Coach Lechtefeld was gracious enough to keep hiring me, and and uh, that's how I got better is just gaining confidence from games like that. In that old gym at Oakville, oh, my gosh, what a snake pit that was. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So, so it, it was all self-taught, though? Did you, go, did you go to clinics or anything like that? Yeah, to, to... yeah we, have a, we have a great association in southern Illinois, uh, Southwestern Athletic Association, and uh, Gary Gustafson is in charge of it now. Uh, some of the old names were Jack Holmes and Phil Mann and, and uh, oh, I can't remember, uh, Babe Champion, uh, Chapel, I forgot, Russ Chapel from Granite City. Uh, uh, Friels was in that association, Bob Friels. So uh, I learned from all those guys. <laughs> a story about Bob Friels 
we used to do two man and uh, and uh one of my first varsity games was bob freels and in the pregame uh, before the game was he said we can do it we can do this one of two ways he said uh he said uh, i'll throw the ball up and then you do all the running or you can throw the ball up and you still do all the running. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never it, forget that because he'd slow the game down. He'd slow the game down automatically by just making up a travel call, you know, and, and then uh, the game would slow down and he'd get a break. He could catch his breath. Well, that, that's something <laughs> I always admire about you on the, on the court there is, is how serious you take that responsibility. And uh, uh, yeah. you, you you stand out among some of the other guys that that I see on the court just in your professionalism, uh, in, in how you conduct yourself on the court, and uh, you you respect the game. And it, it kind of, it shines through when you're out there uh, officiating, and and you hustle up and down the court into your position and your rotation, and um, yeah. you know. Whereas sometimes you see those guys that are just walking, and you're like, how how can you possibly have a a good angle to make a call or, or be in position to, to, to make a call. So I always appreciated that about your, yeah. your effort I, on the court. I appreciate that comment. Thank you very much. I do take it serious and I, I love every second of high school officiating. I just love it. Yeah. So, so you, you're, you're on the hardwood. Uh, what makes you say this gotta be just as, as fun on baseball? Yeah. Umpiring. Well, since I know the game, uh, and there's a crying need for baseball umpires. I just kind of give my time. I'd really rather not umpire, but but it's some way of giving back all the things that baseball gave to me. So uh, it's, a, it's a, another great fraternity of people. I, I enjoy the the before the game and after the game more than the games itself. <laughs> yeah, I umpire youth uh, right now. I, I used to umpire high school and college when I when I retired from coaching before I got the Cardinal gig, and then uh, after I got the Cardinal gig, I I just umpire on the side when I can for youth baseball. And there's a real good league, uh, a select league in Freeburg and Millstadt, O'Fallon and Waterloo. And I, I do games in all those venues and uh, enjoy it. Yep, we have a great well, group it, of guys that, that do that. It's funny you mentioned uh, this. And, and Frank Colston, my guest last week, mentioned uh, uh, something very similar in, in uh, why he works with uh, kids today. And he's like, I, I, I just want to give back. Um, and sure. if I don't give it, I, I forget it. And uh, if, I, I, if my passion's us, too just too deep to, to let that happen. Right. If all of us have the same attitude and don't want to give back what we what we what we got from the game, then there there won't be any officials anymore, and they'll they'll have to cancel games. That's that's no good. That's why I do it. It's just there's a crying need for uh, officials, and uh, I try to try to coach along with it you know I'll, I'll i'll tell a kid what he's doing wrong holding the guy on at first base while i'm umpiring and that's that's the fun part of it for me too is being being able to coach the young kids while, as, as while i'm still umpiring yeah yeah that's neat uh, that's neat so, so one thing i wanted to ask uh being the the uh, experienced uh, referee slash umpire that that you are and I've done a lot of broadcasting over the years, and, and especially in football. I, you know, I do a lot of color analysis as well as play-by-play. But when I'm doing color, I, I focus – I watch the game differently. And, and you as a ref have to watch the game differently. Uh, you can't watch it like the fan does, right? And I, every now and then I catch myself watching like a fan, and I can get away with that as a, a broadcaster, right? You can just talk about whatever. Right. But as an official, how do you separate – 
Um, watching yeah. as a fan versus, versus the job you're out there to do, uh, especially when you have a, a superstar talent that, that's playing that, in that the comes, game. That comes from uh, camps and clinics where you you sometimes, you know, the average fan will just watch the ball. In every sport, they just watch the ball. But a good official has different uh, uh, job, different, uh, what am I trying to say? They have different uh, responsibilities uh, away from the ball. So in a three-man basketball crew, when the ball's not in your area, uh, you don't get to see the action. You have to watch for things that happen, uh, the, the illegal screens, uh, the, the cheap shots away from the ball, and you just have to train yourself. And uh, that's one of the one of the big things of uh, inexperienced young officials is they'll do some ball watching and they'll miss a lot of things in their area. Same with football, I'm sure, is as you just can't watch the ball if you're if you're a I don't know if you're, what, what they call it, but if you're the back judge or something, right. you have to watch watch all the all the play that's away from the ball before the ball gets there and everything. So it's just a matter of knowing your responsibility, responsible areas, and then training yourself to to concentrate and not be a ball watcher. That's that's how we do it. Yeah, it, it, that, that's a tip of the hat, and I guess it, it really does come with experience because I I for the life yes. of me don't know how you can't. Gawk at a Tommy Liddell driving down the lane, for example. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, and right. it's like, yeah. how, how do you separate that? That's a, a, a yeah. remarkable discipline in my mind for for the guys <laughs> who, who who can do that. So, yeah. so do you actually though get? Do you absorb some of that anyway? I, I would imagine you do uh, when you you're calling a game with a a guy like Tommy Liddell or something. Yeah. Uh, that you do get a chance to to do that. I think you mean EJ Liddell. Yeah, EJ. Well, Tommy Liddell EJ, at yeah. Eltoff was pretty good too. But but oh, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. I was referring to EJ. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it is hard because you, you you just have a guy that you know is going to be in the NBA someday, and you got a chance to do a game. You know, I who's the guy from East St. Louis that uh, that uh, six nine six ten guy? Lafonso. No, not Lafonso. There was another guy. Darius. Yeah, Darius Miles. Yeah, uh, I I did a, I did a game with Darius Miles, and and he went coast to coast in like six steps. He took <laughs> six giant steps, and he was already at the other basket and slammed it home. And I just pinched myself and I said, "Do you realize how lucky you are to be able to see this kind of talent and to be a part of this on the floor?" And I, yeah, I'm just amazed at stuff like that. So, do, do those big big talents, or even just the big guy? Um, where do you draw a line on on how much you call uh, oh, yeah. on the inside physical play? That there's that's got to be tough. There there's some politics involved. Let me tell you, one of the things at our camps is uh, in the pregame always identify who the stars are and make sure you always know how many fouls are on the stars, and uh, that that influences your decision. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, you don't want to be calling number five foul on a ticky foul you know for for the guy that's leading the team and scoring in that so boy you better know your stuff <laughs> I, I i was at o'fallon one night and i fouled out one of the best players on a on a foul that i really wasn't sure about and i remember the coach kellerman getting on me and said you just fouled out my best player with seven minutes to go and oh did he ream me and i'll never forget that so uh, <laughs> you better know how many fouls are on the stars 
who are on the good players at all times. And, and the flip side to that is, is you know, um, um, they're getting double teamed every, every you know, every play. And, oh, yeah. and there's sure. physical contact, you know, and they, you probably have to, to, to swallow the whistle a little bit on some of the hacking people are doing to the stars. Yeah, that's basketball officiating is getting so tough. It's so physical and everything is. It's just a, a give and take. It's it's not disadvantage advantage anymore because you could call a foul on every every time down the court uh, from the way it used to be called. So boy, is it tough to call these days. Oh my gosh! And then Southwestern Conference games are like college games <laughs> yeah. with all the, the physical bodies and everything. Oh my gosh! Now you I'm still just, calling the varsity level? I'm not calling any varsity boys three uh, A and four A. I'll do one A and two A, but the three A and four A is too quick and too physical for me I'm, I'm not experienced at that yeah i just don't feel comfortable doing that but i do a lot of uh, a zillion high school girls games and then a lot of 1a 2a boys games uh-huh wow yeah so and then i did i also did college i also did college women for 20 years that was a great experience and that's really easier than than uh, uh, officiating a boys high school game it's it's just slow motion compared to a boys high school game. <laughs> so I did division. I, I, I'm going to get in trouble for that comment. I know. Yeah, no. But uh, I did I did division three uh, basketball for the AMC conference, which was McKendree's conference for all those years. Uh-huh. Uh, the SLIAC, which was uh, uh, Fontbonne and the Webster University and Westminster and places like that. And then I did the the GRAC, which is the junior college league in Southern Illinois. So. I did my share of traveling about a 200-mile radius uh, around St. Louis area and, and met some great officials and made some great friendships, and uh, that was very lucrative. <laughs> what, what, about, what about the the probably the official, I think, in the area that's re- attained the highest level, Ed Hightower? Um, yeah. Have you crossed paths with Ed over the years? Uh, me and Ed go back to college. Uh, we played intramural football and basketball against each other. We're close to the same age. So uh, I've known Ed since 1971, 72, 73. I think he had a brother that played in the Cardinal organization. So baseball is a big part of that family. And uh, I was amazed at how fast he went up through the ranks because I remember him officiating when I was in grad school. He was officiating intramurals at SIU Edwardsville. (laughs) And he uh, quickly moved up the line uh, by officiating high school varsity boys and then some division uh, two and three college and finally up to the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and all that stuff. So, yeah, he, he went up the ladder fast. Now, Very good judgment. No, is that's interesting. And, and do you look at a guy like that and think um, uh, that's a path I'd like to take as an official, or is it something he worked for and uh, um, kind of a created his own opportunities as a result of what he's looking for? You think? Yeah, he uh, he got started at a very early age, and I got started. Uh, much later and i never had those kind of aspirations but uh he he was in the right place at the right time um and had very good judgment he was very good and uh he was you know he's very intelligent uh diplomatic guy can work through arguments and things uh keeps his composure at all times so he was the perfect perfect fit for that and the fact that he was a young official made it even better so he he made a, a great career out of that all right, cool stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so so where did in feel free to say yeah, I'd rather not say, but but uh, is there a a school or or town that you just dread going to as an official? 
<laughs> well, it used to be. It used to be Collinsville when Bobby Bone was there. <laughs> yeah, he was he was tough on officials. But Bob and I played college baseball against each other and kind of respect each other's competitiveness. So he kind of cut me some slack when I did some of his games. But it, it, that was a tough place to go all the time. Dennis Reeder at, uh, at Waterloo Jabot is tough to work for. Uh, he knows the rules real well. Dave Shanahan, Dave Shanahan was really tough to work for, <laughs> even though I knew him and he was one of my best friends. But uh, he he knew the rules backward and forwards. Dave, Dave Shanahan was great. He he had a a, a a certain thing that he did. He he'd take a pencil and a paper up to an official during a timeout and say, "Would you write down all the other rules we're going to ignore tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> it got him a technical a couple times, but it got it got it got a sly laugh uh, many times and everything. So, yeah, that, that, that's a great line. I love that. Not that that is that's that's hilarious, and, and I love stuff like that. You know, I, I uh, yeah. Uh, as I was researching for for things to talk to you about today, I I came across in a, a video I had seen years ago of Tommy Lasorda. Um, <laughs> um, and, and he's running out the second base, and for some reason he's mic'd up or the umpire's mic'd up, but uh, it's a World Series game. And I think it was John Davidson uh, might have been the ump. Um, and he comes running out. There's a play at second. Um, he calls him safe, and he was out by – clearly out. And, and yeah. Tommy had a legit beef, and he comes out there and says, what are you talking about safe? That, he was out by two feet and uh, – Davidson says, Tommy, I have to agree with you. He is out, but 50,000 people saw me wave my arms accidentally, and I'm sticking with my call. <laughs> so, oh, I never heard that. So, so Tommy just says, well, then you're going to let me berate you and not toss me right now in front of 50,000 people because <laughs> I got to show my team I'm defending them. <laughs> so That's he great. said, fair enough. And, uh, That's um, a great trait of uh, comments. I love that. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, there you've probably heard your share over the years. Uh, oh yeah. Another favorite of mine was always uh, Casey Jones of the uh, Celtics. Yeah. Uh, was upset at a, an official and said, uh, "Mr. Official, uh, can you team me up for what I think?" And he said, "No, no, Casey, I can't." He goes, "Well, I think you suck." And so, <laughs> yeah. so he teed him up and uh, tossed him. And, uh, uh, so, so I imagine you hear some of those, but uh, uh, sometimes I, I was expecting a modern day to come into the discussion. They're notorious as, as, oh, as a fan yeah. base to... I, to... I, I used to get a, a little pass from modern day. Dennis Tromme is a good friend. Marv Eversgerd, uh, Brian Perks, uh, Shattig is there. Sure. Uh, those, those guys are all baseball people, and they know I'm a baseball guy, so I get, I get a little bit of a pass there. And uh, I'll be I'll be doing a varsity game there. I think on January the 9th. Uh, I've already got for next year. So looking forward to always going to Modern Day and the Modern Day tournament's a highlight every year. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't necessarily speaking about the coaching staff there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> the, the, so, so do the uh, yeah. In, uh, oh yeah, um, the fans are tough. <laughs> <laughs> and collectively as a fan base, I always found that to be be a difficult place um, uh, oh, yeah. in my mind for 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 an official or an opposing right. coach even and. Um, um, Yep. And, and I know mo- I know most of the people in the stands are, are families of most of the people, and they're they're, they're good. They're just passionate, and, and so passionate so. fans, right? Yep. 
So, so uh, any players uh, jump out at you in reflection as far as, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I know you, you constantly say you're privileged, and, and I understand that. But does any any uh, kid that you coached, uh, whether they were a stellar athlete or not, but but you look back on it and think, hey, I'm so glad I had a chance to work with that kid. Oh, uh, yeah. Mo, I, I couldn't single out. I don't want to single out one person, but I've, you know, the way you select your, your squad as they come up from freshman through the sophomore, you kind of weed out people that uh, just are not going to be good citizens or not a good fit for you. Uh, I've, I've cut kids before that have pretty good talent, but just uh, their background is just going to be a detriment to the team. And, and you want to have good citizens first and then good athletes after that. So that's what that's what makes great teams and great memories is having having people that are just good people and good citizens yeah okay so you parlay all this with coaching and, and uh, uh, refereeing and, and throwing batting practice for umpteen years <laughs> and suddenly um, you're already feeling like you're living the dream and <laughs> something an opportunity comes up how did the st louis cardinals uh, opportunity appear for you Right. So I, I would have coached at Bevel East forever had not my son had such a great, uh, successful freshman year at the University of Illinois. This was in the uh, spring of 2000. Uh, he, was, he was all area, everything, all state in high school in 99. And then went up to Illinois and thought he'd just be kind of a sub for a couple of years until he got to be a, a junior senior. But they, he had a great fall workout, and uh, he started uh, – his freshman year uh, as a DH and got two hits in his very first game. And then he moved to first base and he played 248 straight games at first base for the Fighting Illini. And he's in the top five uh, record book uh, of, of like nine of the 13 offensive statistics for, for all time. So a great, great player at Illinois. And, and there was no way I was going to coach and miss his uh, sophomore, junior, and senior year. So I gave up my coaching job and uh, at Bevel East, but still had five years to teach. And uh, I knew uh, Darren Hendrickson, uh, the St. Louis U coach. Uh, he was a batting practice pitcher for the Cardinals. And in fact, I knew uh, just about all the, the batting practice pitchers for the Cardinals. And it's something that I was good at. Uh, all of my players that came back from the minor leagues and college would say, coach, you can't believe how terrible our batting practice pitchers are. So I knew I had the talent and I just didn't have a way to get in. So. Uh, I had a contact with a, a friend, a, a guy I played college baseball with, uh, and he knew uh, Dave McKay. He was a, a teammate of Dave McKay's in the Oakland Athletics. And uh, I made a couple of phone calls and got a tryout uh, in the spring of 2000 uh, with the Cardinals and <laughs> got a call from Dave McKay telling me to come down to Bush Stadium the next day and uh, we'd see what you got. And uh, I was on cloud nine. I remember my principal coming to my classroom and saying, the St. Louis Cardinals are on the phone for you. They want to talk to you right now. So I talked with Dave McKay, and he was so gracious. Dave and I are still great friends. That I, 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 I threw batting practice up until he left in 2011. And uh, the first first time I threw down there was a cold, rainy day in March uh, at the beginning of the season in 2000. And uh, I threw to Fernando Vina, Edgar Renteria, J.D. Drew, and Placido Polanco. And uh, I threw pretty good, and they hired me. And that was my group for two years. I threw to those same guys for two years uh, before every home game. And then uh, that was great. I had five real good years there. 
throwing just at home games because I was still teaching. And then uh, on the day I retired, Tony LaRusso said, are you available to go on the road? And I said, I sure am. <laughs> and I, and I remember our first road trip that I took in June of 2006, the day after I retired, we left for the, on the road for Los Angeles, San Diego, and uh, San Francisco. And uh, I was on, I was, I, I was full-time batting practice pitcher on the road for 13 straight years. And then uh, when Mike Matheny took over, they brought in the, uh, they brought in the uh, instant replay, and I was the uh, logical choice because I didn't have anything to do during the game after batting practice. So they hired me as a, uh, as the uh, full-time video re replay, instant replay guy. So I had to go to a clinic, uh, a little indoctrination, and had to learn all about that. And I was, uh, I was that guy for five years on the computer looking at the replays. Thing. Now, did the uh, technology frighten you at the time, or? or... Uh, no, because I, I I was a teacher. I I, I was all in, already into the technology and everything. It just it was a different way of handling the keyboard. Uh -huh. The keyboard was the same, but I uh, certain certain uh, there was a program that they had that a, a certain things that you hit on the keyboard meant different things pertaining to baseball. So uh, it, it was yeah. pretty easy to learn. No no problem there, and uh, I went from making twenty four dollars a game to a $33,000 a year salary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, it wasn't about money. Um, um, few no, pe no, few no. people probably, a um, uh, few close in associates fact, probably know you'd have done that for nothing. Oh, yeah. In fact, I told John <laughs> I, in the meeting I had with John Mosaic, he said, uh, this is what we'll be paying you uh, since you're now uh, the instant replay guy. And I said, I don't need that because I got still got my my teaching insurance, you know, I've, I've, I've got my, my medical benefits from my, from my pension and everything with my teaching thing. And he said, no, 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 it's major league rule that we have to pay you something. So, uh, Alex probably like, go talk to some of my players. They, yeah, right. they need that attitude. <laughs> and, and here's the greatest thing from that. I now have a major league pension. I, I worked enough years where I have a major league pension and I get $153 every month. My major league <laughs> For my 13 years of service at $33,000 a year. I, think, I tell people that I, I'm so proud of that, that I'm, I'm on the major league pension plan. Now, <laughs> you got a ring? Say it again? You got a ring? Oh, I have three rings. Three rings? Oh, four, rings four six, and 11? I have 2006. Where I, I wasn't full-time in 2004. Okay. So I don't have anything from that year. But I have a ring from 2006 World Series. Uh, 2011 World Series champions. That's that's the beauty one. That's the one with the two right. rubies that are in the form of a red bird. And then I have a smaller ring from 2013. Uh, that's a National League championship ring when we, we lost to Boston that year. Yeah, I have three rings all together, and uh, I, I got the rings free. They're they're gift, but they're considered salary. So on, I average like about six thousand dollars a year tax. I had to pay on those rings yeah. because they're considered salary. So that'll give you an idea of how much those rings are worth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, cool stuff. Um, um, so, And I, I threw batting practice for 22 years for the Cardinals. And I, I just this year, uh, a week before the season started, uh, Mosaic sent the, the, the remaining three of us. It was me and Darren Hendrickson and another guy. And he sent us a note saying, uh, we're, we're going to eliminate your positions. We don't need uh, the extra batting practice pitchers anymore because we use machines more often. And we have two new staff members 
that are both excellent BP pitchers. So there's no need to have us down there. And we kind of became a nuisance down there. Uh, we were we were able to roam the clubhouse, and uh, they they just want fewer and fewer distractions all the time. So we we were kind of like dinosaurs. We just got uh, you know finally worked out of the system and everything. So I am no longer a batting practice pitcher for the Cardinals, and uh, I'm very grateful for the 22 years that I had with them. Yeah, it, it, it's been a lot of fun watching you and all the different venues uh, and, and uh, avenues that you, you've taken. And so um, <laughs> and it really is. A, and and I, I've always appreciated the videos you post um, uh, oh, yeah. online mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and some of the different things you, you've done uh-huh. uh, with that opportunity, you know, the back. The, uh, if you're the, if the, you're one if you're, if you're one of my three thousand seven hundred Facebook friends. Uh, I get feedback all the time about how much they appreciate behind-the-scenes right. stories, behind-the-scenes videos. One of my favorite videos is walking from the dugout in Chicago's Wrigley Field, walking from the dugout, uh, a series of mazes and steps all the way up yeah. into the upper right. Right, It's all the way up in the upper right field stands. It, it, it takes you like a minute and a half to get there from the dugout to the clubhouse yeah which is unbelievable in a in a stadium today most most clubhouses are 20 seconds behind the the dugout right you know right there <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I i enjoyed that one I, all of them and so so i thank you for for sharing that with <laughs> us as a yeah. as fans it, it was always fun to watch um any favorite cardinal you played you you you, you got to know over the years yeah. In the oh yeah yeah they're, they're all real nice and everything uh they're Everybody always asks me, who are some of the jerks you've had? And uh, Tony La Russa and Mike Matheny were always, uh, were always preaching being fan-friendly, uh, being accessible to fans. Uh, don't give them any reason to call, call you a jerk or a, you know, a jackass or anything like that. So all the, I don't have one guy that I can pick out that says was a real jerk with fans. And some of my favorites were uh, Skippy Schumacher is my, my favorite buddy. Uh, on road trips on the plane, he would pass the uh, manila envelope and every uh, position player, which was like 12 or 13, they put 50 or $100 into that envelope and he'd give that to me at the end of every road trip because I, was only, I wasn't getting any salary then. I was just getting uh, room and board and food, you know, and plane rides and stuff. I wasn't getting paid for that. So uh, that, that was great. Fernando Vina was a good friend. I've been at his residence over in St. Louis for barbecues and things like that. We, we did things socially together. <laughs> He's a great guy. Uh, I, I have stories I can't tell on the, <laughs> the podcast. Yeah, just, just amazing people that they're, they're young kids and have a lot of money, and that's a dangerous combination sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a guy. There was a guy, Craig Paquette. Oh yeah. That was a good Cardinal player back in the early 2000s. He was a real good friend and treated me wonderfully. Uh, Edgar Renteria was a good guy, but he cussed me out in Spanish one day because I almost <laughs> hit him. <laughs> oh gosh, that's great. And I became friends with all of the media, the media people. Me and John Rooney, uh, uh-huh. great. And I have an interview on on a on a on record with uh, Jack Buck. Jack Buck interviewed me my first year down there. Oh, no I, kidding. I just, wow. Priceless. Priceless with that one. So, yeah. 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 Um, some other players. Uh, oh, David Freeze is my good buddy. We're Navy SEALs fanatics. Anytime anything but Navy SEALs comes on, he'll call me and say, Shooter, got something on, on this channel tonight, uh, Navy SEALs. <laughs> so he, we're both into that. 
John Jay and Daniel Descalso are great friends. Uh, I threw every every batting practice pitch that those guys hit in the major in as a Cardinal. I threw to them. Wow. David David Freeze, Daniel Descalso, and John Jay, all great friends. Yeah. Wow. So my voice is giving out here, Dennis. Yeah. No, no. We we've hit the uh, one hour limit. I told you we we we'd go for. I know yeah. you got things to do. And uh, man, this yeah. has been a fascinating. Fascinating hour, uh, Dennis. This was a lot of fun, and uh, uh, appreciate yeah. the the things you do for the youth of Southern Illinois. And uh, uh, thank you thank for you. for spending the time. Great, I'll do it anytime. Love it. Thank you so much. See you at a basketball or football game. You bet you will. All right, uh, take care. That's uh, Dennis Schutzenhofer, longtime official, umpire, batting practice pitcher. Um, extraordinary, and so so we thank Dennis for for taking a few minutes here this afternoon to share some great stories with us uh, like he did. You can always catch our podcasts on uh, Spotify and uh, your different streaming services, Amazon and uh, Apple Plus or Apple uh, uh, Music, I should say, and uh, um, TuneIn Radio and all the streaming services. We're out there. Just search uh, From the Bench with Dench. Dennis should stop for our guests, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back again in, in a couple weeks with another episode. Thank you.